0: Welcome to Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast, a series of interviews and monologues featuring the leaders of the at-home childcare industry created to elevate agencies, caregivers, and the families they serve. Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast is here to provide you with the childcare industry best practices to be clear, concise, and immediately applicable. Here is the host, Danny J. Nanny, author, speaker, and creator of the Next Step System for Agencies. Hi, and welcome to Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast. I am your host, Danny J. Nanny, and today we are speaking with Allison Cohn, author of Card Shark, a book of math card games, which is actually pretty fun. And honestly, I crushed the children I was playing with about half of the time, so it's easy too. Uh, Before we get into that conversation, I wanted to tell you all that I am so excited, as you can tell in my voice. I have been working my butt off on creating a virtual course to go with my live training, and my first peak of the mountain climb is over. This is just the beginning, and I'm so excited about what the future holds for Nanny ABCs and my goal of making child care easier. Just like this podcast, I want you, parents, agencies, caregivers, and children to get the best care today. There's nothing like what I've created, and I'm going to bask in the wonderment of it for just a moment. (gasps) Yes, that was fantastic. Uh, there are a couple nanning nanny trainings out there, but the problem is none of them are actually for nannying. They're all for parenting, and they're, that's completely different. Are they useful? Sure. But do they handle the problems caregivers actually face? <sighs> Hell no. I talk to caregivers all the time, and no one has ever asked me for advice on nutrition. But they have asked me for advice on how to get children to eat new foods, which actually is one of my favorite topics. You can learn all about it in my book or my new virtual course. Woo! <sighs> Um, we cover difficult conversations like asking for time off or bringing up concerns., uh, this is all the stuff that is not out there anywhere. And you there it's there now. Like I've created it for you. This is what I'm most passionate about uh so please check it out you can check it out at nannyabcs.com and then email me at dannyjnanny at nannyabcs.com about what you think like let's make this the best thing possible i'm only here to help and if you're listening to this it's because you want the help so uh let's continue that journey but before you go check it out enjoy this episode and the action steps waiting for you at the end of the episode and on the website in the blog all right enjoy Hey, Allison, thank you so much for joining me on the Nanny ABC's podcast. I know that you have created a math book. Could you tell me about how you got started into even doing that before you created it?
1: Yeah, Danny, I I would love to. I taught uh, middle school math in New Jersey for five years And I've always had an affinity for teaching and kids. And I realized that most of my students lacked foundational math skills and a true understanding of numbers and computation. And I was teaching them pre-algebra, but I realized that I needed to address these weaknesses of theirs. And and what better way than through games and through play. So I decided to just use a standard deck of cards and make a basket of games that the kids could play to hone their addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, even integer work. And so that's how the project got started in my classroom in New Jersey. And then when I moved into the city, I was uh, requested to do a lot of work with preschoolers and kindergartners, so I expanded the games to include preschool and elementary school material as well because young kids, even better than older kids, learn best through play.
0: So how did you come up with it? these games? Because uh, math for me uh, is not my strongest suit, right. but making a game is even less up my alley. So how did you come up with making these into games?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. So, so growing up playing cards with my grandma was one of my favorite pastimes. We would play rummy and spit. And uh, I just, I had such fond memories of that. And when you look at kids today and how they interact with play, they don't really play in the way that we played growing up. They don't really have toys that resemble the toys that we played with. They have very few board games and card games. Everything is electronic. And parents, when they're trying to help their kids with math, because so many kids and so many parents had struggled with math, they resort to technology and apps. But kids learn best when they can handle things with manipulatives, things that they can touch and play and engage with. And the cards also give visuals because, like, the five of spades has five spades, so the kids can see the, the, that the five is not only a number, but a pictorial representation of that number. And so sort of wanting to address these, these skill gaps with, with games, proper games, um, and not wanting the kids to rely on technology and just having such fun memories of playing cards. Um, that's sort of how it came about. And I wanted, cause there were already certain games that had a lot of hidden math, but in the way that they are played, it's mm. not capitalized on. And sure. so I, I made games that are they're proper games and that they include elements of luck, speed, randomness. They're not um, disguised flashcards, if you will. They're they're actual games. Of course, there's a winner, which is great motivation for the kids to learn their their skills and 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 hone their like multiplication facts because they want to win the games, and that and that's incentive enough. And so, yeah, it was really born from my you know, fond memories, playing cards, growing up, realizing that kids don't really play in that way and wanting to address their, their math needs in the absence of technology.
0: And so I, I'm just thinking as you're saying this, like I'm getting into chess right now. And so like, do you have any plans for like where this could go further than a book? Like, could you make like a, like an, like a board game or something for math? Does, I don't even know if something like that already exists.
1: Uh, there are a few math uh, board games that are, are quite excellent. Actually, my games, I, I like the physicality of the cards and handling the cards. Uh, what I hope to do right now, it is an ebook on Amazon, and it has twenty-eight card games that can be played with standard decks of cards. What I hope to do eventually is come up with a proprietary deck that will sort of just expand the numbers that are in the games because the games right now are played cards that are one through 10, because we're using a proper deck of cards. I would like to have my own deck that includes numbers one through 15, just to sort of expand, you know, the facts that the kids are practicing. And and so that's where I I envision this going And and I I hope to introduce it to schools and have teachers playing it with their students in the same way that I had my students uh, playing it in my classroom
0: yeah. Well, that's genius with your, yeah. with uh, creating uh, your own deck. That yeah. would be, that's genius. Cause that's your pro- ter- uh, proprietary. And, uh, I, and I know it just
1: expands I, the effectiveness of the games. Cause right now the, the games um, the same skills would be being practiced and addressed, but it would just broaden the numbers. Um, so, yeah, so that would, that would, that would be the goal. Mm, very cool. So what is the, the importance
0: of learning through play? We've already mentioned it, and that's clearly yeah. uh, the importance here. What uh, like how, why is that so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think many kids, you know they view school as work and they don't really they're not in, in inherently and intrinsically motivated and engaged I think because it's it's very sort of artificial. You know, you're in a classroom, you're looking at a book, your teacher's up at the board, you're you're doing math in isolation, and it doesn't have meaning that it needs to have. And so I think, having kids engage with math, whether it be in cooking in a natural environment in the kitchen or at the grocery store or at the toy store and or playing a game, they can see how math is is not only some subject, that abstract subject that they're learning in school, but they can see how it actually has practical life applications. And so for them to be able to engage with math through play, it makes it more real. It obviously makes it more engaging. And it just aids in their understanding. Anytime you're having fun and, and positively engaged with material, you tend to learn it better. It just sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, even as adults, you know, when we're doing something fun, you remember those things. When you're reading yeah. an article for work, perhaps not <laughs> to the same degree. And so, yeah. so I, and I really wanted to give, yes, this absolutely can be used in schools and it was born in a classroom, but I really wanted to give parents away to authentically engage with their kids through math as opposed to fighting over homework. I and mean, this is a very different way to help your kids with their math, but to do it in a very positive way. Often I hear from parents and from clients, now I work as an academic coach in Manhattan, You know, parents fight with their kids about schoolwork and homework. And I wanted parents to have a way to be interested in their kids' academic learning, engage with them, but do it in such a positive way That it's a win-win for everyone. It's a win-win for the kids and the parents because it's a positive experience and the kids are learning, but it also helps the teachers in that the students are practicing uh, their skills outside of the classroom.
0: Yeah. Well, with being so being an academic coach, is there a difference between that and tutor just before I I, I've got some questions, but I don't want to insult anybody. Of
1: course. No, I mean, people can use the the terms interchangeably. I use the term academic coach. I think it I think when you're a coach, uh, the onus is both on myself and my student. To do the work and to be engaged and to work towards common goals, I think tutor and teacher it more conveys that I'm pouring knowledge into this person and it's more of a one-way relationship. This is a, a very mutual relationship, and I also bring in a lot of psychology. There's there's a lot more. I'm, I'm not. I'm not showing up to students and just merely helping them do homework, overworking with them privately. You become their mentor, their confidant, their tu- their, not yeah. only their, their tutor as an adjunct to school, but you become so much more than that. You really get um, to develop really deep relationships with these kids. Unlike, I, I wasn't able to do that to the degree I wanted to in a classroom with 35 kids in New Jersey. Yeah. So it's a very different dynamic.
0: Yeah. Well, you also get to wear uh, a jersey with the name coach on the back, and that's awesome. I, I,
1: I absolutely should should get one of those. <laughs>
0: yeah, that'd be awesome. So, what when you're doing that type of thing, like, what's the most challenging a- aspect of like? Uh, so, like, I know, like, preparing for tests is a big thing. Uh, do you work a lot on that?
1: Yeah. So I. I either do academic work with kids in that I'm facilitating their homework and making sure that they truly understand the material as an adjunct to the wonderful work that their teachers are doing in schools. And and that is sort of, you know, we have a job to do, we get it done. And I, I take a a very holistic view with that as well, because I know where they're going with that material. They might be working on concept A, but I know what's going to follow. So I make sure that not only do they understand the current concept, but they're building the proper foundation for concepts to come. But the test prep that I do for students who sit for tests to get into private schools and or private high schools or specialized high schools, they're almost akin to an SAT, but yet these kids can take these exams as young as 10 years old, which is just daunting when you think about it, a 10-year-old sitting for a three and a half hour, exam. Um, It's, you know, developmentally not really something that they're ready to do. And so, so much of that work is not only making sure that they know the content, but they have test taking skills and they they know how to, you use the choices to help them and work quickly and methodically. um, And also just to get them in the right headspace because you know we'll do 6 months of preparation but you know game day is a 3 hour test on a saturday morning and i need them to be able to put everything we've done together in that moment and so that's where the coach analogy comes in as well i mean that's our that's our championship game and i i need them to you know come through in that moment because it's a snapshot in time but it's it's so um impactful in, in these application processes and it's a, it's a it's a very big deal and a very stressful situation for all all parties involved myself the kids and the parents
0: yeah how, how do you prepare for like what uh like what you're going to teach them or like how you're going to like expose them to the things that they need to know for these tests. How does that work?
1: Yeah, sure. So the, I mean, the, the tests cover math, there's a verbal component again, akin to the old SAT or reading comprehension component. And these are all things that kids are exposed to in school, but they look so different on these tests and the kids have to work so quickly on these tests that even if they had the right skills, they might not get the scores that we need so parents will often say well you know, he's a straight-a student the test will be fine and it's just a very very different entity um, in terms of they're being asked to take skills that they know and yeah. use them in a, in an environment that it almost is unrecognizable and the other thing that is so different about these exams compared to school when kids take tests in schools they tend to cover one topic They'll have a test on Friday on fractions. So there might be 20 questions on various operations with fractions, but basically if the kid's in fraction mode, he can do well. But on this test, what, the first question could be about fractions. The next one, they're interpreting a graph. The next one, they're doing PEMDAS. The next one, they're um, you know doing data and probability. And so they almost have to play mental gymnastics, and they're just not used to that. They don't have practice doing that. So really getting them comfortable with that, getting them confident so that they know they can they can work through each problem, go into the next one confidently. Um, I, I describe it to them as like mini battles. <laughs> and, you know, if, you, if you've won the first one, you can triumphantly go into the second one feeling good about it. But it's just, it's so different than what they do in school. And in fairness to the schools, the, their job is not to prepare them to, to do um, an assessment of this nature. And so that's where I come in. Yeah, it's, wow. it's as much psychological as it is academic in terms of the preparation for the exams.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think back on how hard it was for me to do any of these types of tests, and uh, I'm mostly just uh, the I, I'm stuck on thinking about just sitting in the chair for three hours is where I've landed. It was like, oh yeah, that was that was rough.
1: Right. I mean, just having the mental stamina to to focus for that length of time is is daunting and, and a Herculean task unto itself. And then you layer on just the sheer difficulty of it. And the other thing with these exams is they're graded on, on a curve and that the kids are compared to one another. So they just have to do better than their peers, which, um, you know, that that's what makes it even more challenging. It's not a, a good enough to be, to do well, you have to do better. So I must grade on a bell curve, if you will.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to go back to your book. Uh, so creating your book, like how did you, Well, first, how did you come up with the idea that it should be even in a book form, that you could do more with this than just what you were doing with it personally?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I had used it in my classroom, and when I moved into the city, I was primarily working with middle school students, very pointedly in either homework or this test preparation that we've just discussed. And I didn't really have a place for these games. But then when parents of very young kids started calling me and saying, I want you to work with my three old my four-year-old. And they love math, but we don't know what to do with them. You know, what, how should we hone their, their affinity for math? And how can we really make this a positive experience for them? And I, I realized, well, I, I don't want to go into these homes and use flashcards and use apps or, or a, a whiteboard. I, I want the kids to be playing, because at that age, while proper learning is fine and it happens at an increasingly younger age. I mean, we have two-year-olds in school. When we were growing up, you we were five. <laughs> um, I, I wanted it to feel like play. And so I, I revisited the games and realized that I could make them to address you know, very foundational and introductory math skills, such as addition and number sense. And so that's what I do with, with the young kids. And so in my work doing that, uh, a lot of the parents said, oh, well, can you show us the game so we can play with our kids? And, and one of them said, why don't you make a book? And, and, I, and it was such a compliment. I, um, and and it, I had never thought of it in that it was very much work that I did with kids. Um, and I enjoyed sharing it with the parents and hearing their positive feedback on how much the kids loved the games and re- would request to play the games. And so it made sense. But um, oddly, it wasn't something I probably would have thought of on my own. And so he, he jokingly said, I'm going to give you homework. And this weekend, you have to go write all your card games down. And, and I, I did, at like, a, like the good student that I was as a kid as well. I went home that weekend, and I came up with about 20 games that I had been playing. And then once I was sort of in that headspace, I would often just spontaneously think of new games and and would add them. Or I'd be working with kids and they would suggest a variant of the game and I would then take it and run with it and add another game. And so even since I've published the book that is currently online, I'm working on some more games that might be added to, let's say, a next edition of the book.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And and what was the, the most difficult part in creating this book for you?
1: Yeah, the most difficult part was navigating self-publishing on Amazon. And so ultimately, I hope to publish with a publisher with a proprietary deck of cards and have the book almost resemble a cookbook but a cookbook of math card games with various instruction sets as opposed to recipes and so while I'm sort of pursuing that avenue right now the book has to live uh, as an ebook uh, on yeah. Amazon and just sort of getting that up and the formatting and um, I mean the book is sort of anti-technology and that I want kids playing with with cards. And so relying on technology to sort of bring it to life for now was a bit ironic and, and a bit challenging.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, why is it so difficult on Amazon? Like, how does that work?
1: Well, when you, when you self-publish you, you upload, so I had the book perfectly formatted and beautiful, and then you, you uploaded it and it, it gets a little wonky and you do, you just have to work with, um, whatever, uh, is going on behind the scenes at, at their, uh, uh, Kindle publishing. And so, um, not being a tech expert, uh, it was a bit challenging. Wow. But, but I'm, I'm very, the, the final product is, is, is great. Um, and the, the great thing about it, while it does exist on an iPad or on a Kindle, is once you learn the games and once you and your kids know the games, you don't have to reference the book anymore. So, what I recommend to clients and parents is learn one game, play it with your kids, get very comfortable with it, and then take on the next game and then you can sort of do it in chunks like that. And it's so it makes it uh, very doable.
0: Wow. That's great. And so like, what would you suggest people do uh, if they're struggling with children that are working on, you know, anything academically, like what is the, you know, is there some secret sauce to like how to, how to best work with kids while they're working on homework or learning?
1: sure I, I think I think the secret would would absolutely be to keep it positive. I think what often happens with parents is they get into power struggles with their kids, and the parents might not themselves be comfortable with the material and it just evolves quickly from there so to really show authentic um, engagement and authentic interest in what your kids are doing. I I joke with with friends it would be like being married and having your spouse not ask you about your day or not want to know what project you're working on in work. So to just ask what are you learning in math and have your kids tell it to you, explain it to you, show you in their homework, and then make it more collaborative as opposed to you being a a dictator who's, you know, demanding the homework get done. I mean, for a lot of these kids, unfortunately, the homework that they're being asked to do is not exactly on the level of the classwork they're doing. It's a bit more advanced and certain kids need a little help making that leap. And that's where parents can come in, and, but I think in order to do that and for it to be a positive experience for both the parents and the kids, it just really needs to be kept very, very positive. And I would say to parents, if at any point it's starting to turn negative or into a power struggle, just just, just move on and, you know, send a nice note to the teacher and just say, hey, listen, we, he was struggling with this. I was also struggling with this. You know, can can you work with them Um, just to keep your work with the kids at home outside of school entirely positive, because in the in the end, that will only benefit you, your kid and the teacher, even if a homework assignment doesn't get done. Yeah. And obviously, if it's a persistent issue to engage someone like myself, who is a teacher and really can be an adjunct to school.
0: Yeah, you got there time. right before I did. I was just yeah. going to say, like, what do you do if it's like so, if it's really, if there's really actually uh, a struggle going on there? I don't ever feel like, uh, I never see any of this stuff as a struggle, but I can imagine that a lot of uh, yeah, well, learning at issue. home and like every situation that we're going through right now is tremendously hard with children. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, the problems that existed before have only been compounded by COVID and remote learning and sort of the uh the, the pitfalls of remote learning and, and parents having to really compensate and step up and engage in a way that they they really shouldn't have to and, and they're not really equipped to in, in all fairness because they're not all educators. And and that's okay and it's 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 very difficult for, for the teachers, for the kids as well as the parents, um, but to to recognize if there is an issue and if there is a persistent issue. Um, to bring in someone who who isn't, you know, intimately related to the kid. Kids tend to respond better to an outsider, to someone who they can sort of view as an ally. I joke with my students that, you know, while mom and dad hired me and we're gonna work towards common goals that we've all set, I joke with them that they're my boss because I'm there for them. And that really changes the dynamic that I have with them. They view me as a friend, as a confidant, as an ally. and unfortunately, parents, and it's understood you're, you're parenting your child, it's, it's a very different dynamic. And, and sometimes that doesn't mesh well with homework and with yeah. things that are difficult and frustrating, not only for the kid, but also for the parent. And then when you have two frustrated parties, it, it can get ugly pretty fast.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have any plans for uh, an English version of your book?
1: Oh, in terms of like a grammar version or or something outside of math?
0: Yeah, it was just a terrible joke, and it's, <laughs> fine. it's I was going to say,
1: Danny, I think it's in English right now. Yeah. Um, I, my my love is math, and um you know, I, I'll i leave that to to someone else. I think I'm going to stick with math card games for now.
0: Sounds great. Well, card sharks, math makes by Allison Cohen. Incredibly easy to find. The link for that is going to be in the show notes. So just go by there. Just go there. Yeah. Is there anything else before we leave, Alison? I don't want to leave uh, without letting you get the last word in here.
1: No, I I would just, I would just say to parents that all of the teachers, myself included, just thank you for stepping up and, and really being such an integral part in navigating remote learning with your kids and whenever you can, just make it fun and and use play.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Thank you so much for joining me, Allison. I, I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: All right. Fantastic, Danny. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening. That's our episode Card Truck with Alison Cohen. You can get her book Card Truck on Amazon. The link is in the bottom right there. Like just scroll a little bit, no matter on whatever platform you're on, it's in the show notes right there. Go look for it. You can also find it on our blog. And here are the action steps to go with it. One, get on the floor and play with kids. Two, talk about numbers and engage with children in daily math discussions. It doesn't just have to be math. You could It could be English. What, what are the subjects that you enjoy? Talk about them. You're only furthering their education when you bring things up. You know, you have to engage. You have to bring it. Three, play games and make learning fun. Learning fun doesn't just have to be through games. You can do it just by having a discussion or giving some insight on how you did it when you were a kid. Kids, I don't know if they love it. I don't remember particularly loving it when an adult told me how they did it when they were growing up, but being part of it is crucial. Four. find creative ways to practice math in everyday activities, such as games, right? Like in the book, right? Eh? Making it easy. The practice should be positive and feel natural. Five, talk to kids about what they're learning. Dig deeper, get some insights from them on what they're learning about. Give them another point of view on it. It doesn't just have to be questions. Show them that you're genuinely interested in what they're learning. You're going to find that that pushes them a little bit further than they otherwise would go. So for now, that's our show. Again, go to the blog for the action steps, look for the book, and check out the new virtual courses on nannyabcs.com. We're all in this together. Cheers for now. If you would
1: like to work directly with Nanny ABCs or add Next Step to your agency, go to nannyabcs.com to find out more and connect.